0: Of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your Financial Independence Day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors.
1: Hey, everybody, fellow voters, fellow citizens, good day, good day. It is voting day in the United States. I know we have viewers, listeners, followers from 189 countries worldwide, but in this country today, it is a big contentious election. And this is not our election coverage. (laughs) This is just a quickie because, you know, I don't think we're going to know very much today. We had planned to do election coverage tonight, but again, We are going to wait and do an election recap tomorrow night. Now, who knows what we'll even know tomorrow? Maybe we'll have to postpone that one. In these crazy times, this could be tied up in in the Supreme Court for weeks. Who knows what will happen? Who knows what will happen? But it will sure be interesting. I hope you went out and voted, and I hope you went out and voted against Joe Biden, who is a complete idiot and unfit to be president. And I'm not saying Trump is the greatest guy in the world, but you know, uh, I understand why people don't like him. It's uh, clear, right? But I understand why people like him too, because he, he's kind of kept his promises, which is a super rare thing. Whether you like his promises or not, it is a super rare thing as a president. But just thought we'd dive into a couple things. This is an intro for our podcast. The full podcast Uh, will be posted in about an hour or so. But I thought in the intro portion, I would share a few things with you. Might as well just go live to share this stuff. But again, tomorrow, our full election recap is planned for 5 p.m. Pacific time, 8 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow night. Hopefully, we'll know who the president is by then. But if not, we're certainly going to know about some of these crazy ballot initiatives in my former home state for most of my life, the Socialist Republic of California. (laughs) Yeah. Boy, there's some crazy stuff on the ballot in California. And, you know, why is that important? You might be thinking, Jason, I don't live in California. I don't care about California. Folks, as California goes, so goes the nation. Things that happen in California tend to be contagious. Why is that? Well, because the government in California, when they can get away with something, other governments who are hungry for tax dollars, they look around and say, wow, this passed in California. Maybe we can pass a watered down version of it here. We realize we're not a crazy state like California, but you know, maybe we can get, get some additional tax revenue. And so it is important. And remember something, love it, hate it, if it were a country. And again, I am not crediting the current California regime for this at all. In fact, it's much to their discredit. But there was a time decades ago when California was the golden state, when it was The place where people would go for opportunity, where the streets were lined with gold, where opportunities were made, where dreams came true, and it has ridden and milked that reputation for so many decades, but the benefits and the reality of that disappeared a long, long time ago. But again, living somewhere is a sticky situation. People don't just get up and move that easily. It took me 15 years to get out of California. So uh, understand this is important stuff. It is important stuff. And so a lot of that stuff will be apparent tonight or tomorrow as to what happens with some of these crazy ballot initiatives. Also, we're going to know, you know, who takes the Senate tonight probably, and that's going to be super important. Most people focus on the presidential election, but hey, you know, Congress as a whole, I'm I'm talking about, uh, you know, both sides, right? That's where the bills come from, right? The House Ways and Means Committee, that super powerful committee, that's where all your tax increases come from. Now, the president gets a chance to veto things, obviously. But, you know, it's not just about the president. There's a lot more to it than just the president. Just, you know, that's that's one branch of government. We have, thankfully, thank God in this country, we have this balance of power, right? This checks and balances system. We have three branches of government. We have the executive, the judicial, and the legislature. So we got a Supreme Court. Uh, and, uh, you know, Trump just pushed through uh, his pick, and uh, and and that was great, right? We saw that uh, just, what, last week or the week before. And now if the Democrats win, their, they want to pack the Supreme Court. They want to take it from nine justices to 13 justices just so they can have their picks on the Supreme Court and get what they want. That is absolutely absurd. Let's hope that never happens because it's completely ridiculous, of course. And, you know, I say this. Regardless of what side of the political aisle you're on, folks, you got to just remember that, you know, I don't know, I think it's just long past our culture. Nowadays, sadly, everybody's just out for whatever they want, whatever they can get. It's, It's awful. awful what happened to and and, you know i say to my podcast listeners all the time i say you must watch old movies you must watch old tv shows you must read old books and you must listen to old music to see how screwed up the world has become (laughs) and you know listen in a lot of ways the world is better than it used to be but in a lot of ways it's really worse so it's, uh, it's, it's a mixed bag, obviously. To gain perspective on how things used to be, you must consume old media. From, and I, when I say old, I mean 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Watched movies from the 70s and the 60s. That wasn't that long ago, folks, okay? I'm not talking about reading books from 1850. All right. I'm not talking about reading books from when Gutenberg invented the printing press. I'm just talking about, you know, stuff from a couple decades ago when you were probably alive. Look at how much the world has changed. It helps spark your memory, right? It helps you remember how things used to be. That is very important. There used to be a sort of a, a decency to things sadly so much of that has has gone away in the in the world in which we live you know it's not all bad there are a lot of things that are much better now than they used to be so it's a mixed bag right it's it's definitely mixed all right let's jump into a few things here then i will let you go first off remember speaking of old things remember johnny carson this is from 1987 johnny carson talking about one of our presidential candidates and it's it's interesting to get this insight from 1987 about one of the people you may have voted for today or recently. Let's listen in.
2: Now on, the, on the political scene, uh, one of the Democratic candidates is Senator Joseph Biden. Have you seen the problem he's been having? He went around and made a speech. And apparently, he quoted a, I think it was a British politician, took his speech and kind of paraphrased it as his own. And then the press got on him. And then he was charged also with taking part of Bobby Kennedy's speeches. And Biden says, not to worry. He reassured his staff. He said, we have nothing to fear, but fear itself.
1: (laughs) Oh, that was pretty funny. So Biden, the plagiarist. Hey, you know, hopefully you watched uh, Tucker Carlson last week. Tucker Carlson really is a national treasure, I mean, that guy is brilliant. He is the most brilliant guy in the media. No question about it. Uh, Tucker Carlson, really interesting. But hey, um, thought we would look at history a little bit too and look at the chart on the screen and let's look at the winning margins in some past presidential elections, right? So in 2016, everybody thought Hillary would win, right? The, The criminal known as Hillary Clinton. They thought she would win. Uh, she thought she would win. She thought it was a shoe in because she'd been around the political establishment. Here comes this outsider, Donald Trump, and just totally shakes things up. And I know I understand that half of you hate him, half of you love him. There isn't much middle ground, it seems like with with Trump. But whatever, listen, when you when you're a disruptor, when you shake things up, you know, you're gonna have a lot of haters throughout history if you think about it. I mean, there were people that hated Martin Luther King. They hated Jesus Christ. They hated Mahatma Gandhi. You know, disruptors are hated, okay, whoever they are. And uh, there's that old saying, no prophet is ever revered in their own time. And I'm not saying Trump's a prophet. I'm just saying conceptually, understand be intellectually honest about it that a disruptor has to encounter a lot of opposition a lot of hatred anybody that fights for new rights that wants to uh, you know eliminate the deep state or drain the swamp and I know you that hate Trump will say he didn't drain the swamp he made it worse I've heard it all right we've all heard it all but regardless okay so let's just look uh, you know you need 270. 270 electoral votes to win. We'll see what those delegates do tonight. And we'll see if the ballots get counted fast enough. I don't I don't know, you know. I don't think we're going to know tonight, but maybe we will. Maybe we will. And even if we do know, it's going to be contested uh, most likely. So we'll see. We'll see. But Trump won last time, of course, with 304. Obama won with 332. Obama was a disruptor. Look, I, I wasn't a fan of Obama. I thought Obama was you know, like an empty suit president. I, I I didn't think he had any qualifications really at all. And, you know, you could argue that Trump doesn't or didn't at the time. Now he does because he's got experience now. But the time he came in, he'd never been in politics, but he, he didn't know how to run a business. And I would say at the end of the day, a country is really sort of a giant corporation. Of course, it's different. Of course, there are humanitarian issues and other issues that a government needs to attend to that aren't just business. But like I posted on Facebook yesterday, you know, mostly, and it's not completely, I get it. It's not completely, I didn't say this, but mostly the business of America is business. When business works and people have jobs and they have money and we have private property rights, that is inextricably Connected to human liberty and human rights, you know, when you read the philosophers from the past, you know, uh, and and the way they developed the thought about human rights and the idea that people just have natural, inalienable right, inalienable rights because they exist, nothing earned, they just exist, so they have rights, and to obtain those rights, you must have private property rights. And for private property to exist, you must have the right to your own time and the fruits of your own labor. Without that, you do not have rights. So when I say the business of America is business, that's just true because business is what gives people human rights. You don't have human rights in North Korea because you don't have business. You didn't have rights in the former Soviet Union because you didn't have business that wasn't the business of the state. It wasn't the private property of the people. In Cuba, you don't have human rights because you don't have I mean, I know you do a little bit in all these cases, especially Cuba. There are some European companies and so forth in Cuba. I get it. But they're largely beholden to the state. And that old saying, I think, is really important. And here it is. The bigger the government, the smaller the citizen. The bigger the government, the smaller the citizen. You know, it's that concept of crowding out in any marketplace for anything. In the marketplace for healthcare, in the marketplace for ideas, in the marketplace for widgets. There is a crowding out concept, okay? This crowding out concept always occurs. And when you don't have human rights, when they get crowded out by the government, when you have the government controlling more and more of the economy, the citizen shrinks in importance and their rights shrink. It naturally must happen that way. So when the government is 20 some odd percent of the gross domestic product, the GDP of a nation, then the humans, the people, the citizens, have 20% less rights because you don't have the recourse against the government the way you have it against business in the idea that you can vote with your feet, you can vote with your wallet, you can vote with your pocketbook, right? Now, sadly, and don't confuse this, because the the big business we have in America is absolutely shameful. It's disgusting. The The big tech monopolies, the Wall Street monopolies, you know, I always say Wall, Wall Street is the modern version of organized crime. You know, why is there no startup culture on Wall Street? I'll tell you why because of government regulations. Wall Street is so highly regulated that the entrenched players on Wall Street love the regulation because it keeps their competitors out. It builds a wall. You know, everybody says, well, Trump will build a wall. Well, Goldman Sachs built a wall around their business, okay? You know, J.P. Morgan Chase built a wall around their business, and so they keep startups, they keep competitors out by building these walls of regulation. And the government, when they become a competitor, any government, right? When they get big and they make all kinds of regulations, all that does is guarantee a concentration of power for the already established players in that market. That could be Google, it could be, or Alphabet, I should say, it could be Facebook. It could be Amazon, it could be Goldman Sachs, it could be J.P. Morgan Chase, it can be Merrill Lynch, it can be anybody. The more regulated, the more the government gets involved, the more the big entrenched competitors get to consolidate power. You'll hear them on TV saying, oh, there's too much regulation, they grouse about it. But in reality, they secretly love it. They love the regulations. And listen, you've heard Mark Zuckerberg say it himself. And i got to give Mark Zuckerberg a little bit of credit, right? You know, usually I'll be critical of him, but I could give him a little bit of credit because uh, like Ted Cruz said uh, last week at that hearing, Jack Dorsey is just abusing freedom and democratic principles left and right. Zuckerberg, you know, has made a small attempt to be a little more reasonable about the whole thing. Now, you know, we'll see if it lasts or, or whatever, but. Anyway, that's that. So here you see Bush, you know, W, he won with 286 and 271 in his two elections. And uh, Reagan was a landslide. And you know, I think Trump's going to win. I think he's going to handily win, actually. And you know, it's very hard to say that because the media just keeps telling you that's not the case. Like they told us in 2016, the media just keeps saying that, No way, you know, Biden's going to win. He's ahead in all the polls, all this biased stuff. Well, let's take a look at that for a moment. So here are the newspapers and who they're endorsing for president. (laughs) How could anybody possibly think that the media is like this impartial watchdog of justice, right? Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. Like, if this doesn't tell you, okay, this is the American presidency project, okay, who are America's newspapers endorsing for president in 2020? 2020 general election editorial endorsements by major U.S. newspapers. Joe Biden has got 40, 47 of them. Trump, only seven. Now, why? Well, Trump says he hates the media. And he's exposed the media. And he's, he's held them to the fire. And he doesn't put up with their bullshit. Uh, hey, I should bleep that. He doesn't put up with their... Bullshit <laughs> There's my bleep, okay. this is an adult program, so yeah, so the media hates them, but you look at the rallies that aren't covered very much by the most of the media, I mean a little bit. you look at the rallies and you compare them to the Biden rallies, and you just I don't know folks it uh seems like uh seems like Trump is probably going to win in in light of all this stuff. now, you know what was really interesting? That there was this uh, right after the 2016 election. I was listening to none other than NPR. Okay. NPR, the most left wing liberal outlet, right? And somehow they let this in. You know, sometimes they don't censor what they really probably should be censoring for their own pathetic agenda. Okay. But I'm listening to NPR, which I occasionally do because I want to know what the devil is up to. And they go to Michigan and they go to this county that has voted Democrat forever, like for decades and decades and decades. And the NPR reporter, you know, is interviewing people. Why, why did you, you know, why did, why do you think the county went for Trump this time when it's been Democrat historically? And they they put a microphone in front of a woman who voted for Trump. And the reporter says, why didn't you vote for Donald Trump? I mean, you know, everybody's pretty much a Democrat here. She said something really telling. I thought this was really telling. And we'll see if that plays out here tonight in 2020. She said, you know, all we heard is Hillary Clinton talking about identity politics and this and that. And, you know, she insulted us and called us the flyover states and and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, and just kept talking about identity politics. And at the end of the day, we just want a job. We just want a job. Why? Why is that significant? Is that because that woman saying that, who was a lifelong Democrat, who turned and voted for Trump, was she out of her mind? No. She understood that a job is the foundation of human liberty. A job, the right to one's time, the right to the fruits of one's labors, the personal property rights that go with that that's human liberty. That's the main ingredient right there, the right to earn an income and to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? That is human liberty in essence, right there, J-O-B, the opportunity to have a job. So yeah, there you go. We'll see if that happens this time. You know, I'll probably do this one tomorrow. I got some great clips for you. Well, let me do a little bit of this one. We'll do maybe the rest tomorrow, but... Listen to uh, this commentator, Steve Hilton, talking about uh, the Trump presidency, and I I think he gives a pretty fair and balanced uh, idea of it, okay? But, uh, you know, it's just, uh, hey, facts are facts. You know, you're not entitled to your own facts, right, as they say.
0: Let's start by going back back.
3: four years. years. years.
1: I'll I'll be the the greatest greatest jobs president that God ever created.
0: Well, he was. He delivered the highest number of people working in American history. The lowest unemployment in 50 years, the lowest for women in nearly 70 years, the lowest black, Hispanic and Asian unemployment ever.
3: The forgotten men and women
0: won't be forgotten anymore. They weren't. For the first time in decades, earnings rose faster for the lowest paid than the rich. Under Obama, inequality went up. With Trump, it came down. By the end of last year, three quarters of the people entering the labor force were coming off the sidelines, the highest since records began.
3: To keep our country out of war, we will remember those three very famous words, peace through
0: strength. Trump is the first president since the 1970s not to start a foreign conflict. Our troops are coming home from the Middle East. Our military power has been massively...
1: Hey, liberals, liberal friends, do you hear that? Trump is the first president since the 70s not to start a foreign conflict. Hey, remember, you're the flower children of the 60s, right? Peace, right? Give peace a chance. Trump is the president of peace compared to all the rest, Republicans and Democrats before him. He's the peace president. None of these awful wars.
0: He Enhanced, Trump defused the North Korea nuclear crisis he inherited. He's achieved peace deals in the Middle East that eluded his establishment predecessors. Yeah,
3: I think peace through
0: strength just about
3: covers it. Our horrible trade agreements with China and many others will be totally renegotiated. That includes renegotiating NAFTA to get a much better deal for America.
0: That's literally what he did. He put tariffs on China. He renegotiated NAFTA to produce the USMCA, the most pro-worker trade deal ever. Global supply chains were reconfigured. Jobs came back to America.
1: And Clinton, by the way, that our liberal friends liked so much, he's the one that sold your job down the river. Clinton, now listen, Bush wasn't much better, okay? I'm just on balance. But Clinton was the guy who really put the nail in the jobs coffin in America, and just sold us out, okay, in terms of American jobs, it all rests on slick-willy Bill Clinton. Now, you know, Bush, they're all globalists, except Trump. He's the only non-globalist, right? But Clinton was the worst offender in terms of the suppression of wages in America, the job losses. I mean, absolutely appalling. Clinton really, really screwed American workers like no other.
0: Household earnings rose and inflation stayed low. The globalists were wrong and Trump was right. I will produce
3: for the inner cities
0: and I will produce for the African-Americans. Opportunity zones with billions of dollars of new investment for urban areas, record funding for historically black colleges, criminal justice reform to reverse the destruction of Joe Biden's crime bill. The only federal action on police reform after George Floyd, while Kamala Harris blocked police reform in the Senate. All that on top of the lowest black unemployment ever, the lowest black poverty ever, and a massive rise in average income for black families. A Trump administration will secure and defend the borders of the United States. Catch and release terminated. The wall nearly finished. Asylum seekers remain in Mexico. Caravans turned back thanks to the threat of tariffs. The result? Illegal border crossings down, gangs under attack, immigration under control.
3: We are going to appoint justices of the United States Supreme Court who will uphold our laws and our Constitution.
0: Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, Barrett. Moving on.
3: I am also going to propose a massive tax cut to unleash prosperity in every city and every state in our country. Trump tax
0: cuts gave the average family an extra $2,000 a year and reduced our business taxes from among the highest in the developed world to one of the lowest. As a result, companies came back to America and investment boomed. We'll get rid of these horrible regulations that
3: make it impossible to do business in this country.
0: A massive program of deregulation led to high investment, which boosted productivity, which increased workers' pay.
1: Energy de- Right there is the monopolization concept I was talking about earlier. The more regulation, the more of a wall it builds around the entrenched businesses. And when they have that wall around them and they have no competition, guess what? They don't have to raise wages. They don't have the pressure of the labor market. They don't have the pressure of you know, providing the best product for the customer at the lowest price. It's just uh, unbelievable.
3: Yeah, it really is. On defeating terrorism and destroying ISIS. Well, military
0: leaders were given that focus. They were given operational control after years of second guessing by Obama Biden. ISIS was destroyed, losing 100% of its territory. Get the picture? That's just a top 10. Has there ever been a president who delivered so many of his promises in so many policy areas as Donald Trump? Biden says, who cares? Coronavirus. What is he even talking about? Trump shot down travel from China in January, Fauci says that saved thousands of lives. Where's the highest death toll? New Jersey, run by Democrats. New York, run by Democrats. Republican Florida, no lockdown, no mask mandate, many more elderly people, much lower death rate. What's the best single thing any leader could do? Bring the pandemic to an end as quickly as possible. The only way is vaccines and treatments. Trump was on it right from the start. He brought the drug companies together, the military, the bureaucracy. Yes, he yelled at the FDA. If ever it was vital to have a businessman in the White House, this was the moment. If you'd had Biden there, we'd be waiting years for the vaccines, years for the treatments. The idiots in the media attack Trump for saying we're rounding the corner. But even the New York Times own pandemic expert now says this, quote, experts are saying with genuine confidence that the pandemic in the United States will be over far sooner than they expected. Don't vote for Trump despite his pandemic response, but because of it. Just like the other big issue that's dominated this year, we've shown you Trump's record on racial justice. And yes, he'll bring law and order. But equally, he'll bring opportunity with his platinum plan for black America, boosting community lending for black entrepreneurs, millions of new jobs. Biden would shut down opportunity zones. Trump will expand them. Biden would abolish school choice. With Trump, there'll be more. Biden says he'll heal our racial divide. What? Mr. You ain't black. Mr. Predator, Mr. Crime Bill that destroyed countless black families and communities. On the issues, on the policy, Trump is the right choice. On the economy, he pioneered a new conservative populism, pro-business on tax and regulation, pro-worker on trade and immigration. It led to the greatest economy we've ever seen, a blue-collar boom, lifting up those left behind by the establishment economics Biden would take us back to. On foreign policy, perhaps Trump's most consequential achievement and greatest legacy, reversing decades of establishment surrender to confront China's rise. Biden says normalcy for working Americans, normalcy is cruelty. They send your jobs to China, then go to China to get jobs for themselves. You get poorer, they get richer. Normalcy is career politicians like Biden and Harris, totally controlled by the bureaucrats and the administrative states. Biden says his tweets, we want calm. calm. Biden's practically comatose, the feeble stooge of fighting factions and the far left. The snooty, snobby, superficial establishment want this election to be about style, not substance. Well, that may be fine for the already comfortable, but for Americans who are struggling, who want to climb the ladder of opportunity, try doing that with a Biden speech about the soul of the nation. On the substance, in any fair election, Trump would be resoundingly re-elected. But we don't have a fair election. NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN, NPR, New York Times, Washington Post, Facebook, Twitter, all of it, nonstop war-to-war Biden propaganda, the alliance of bias colluding to suppress information and suppress the Trump vote. They're the ones undermining our democracy. For three and a half years, they plotted and schemed against President Trump from morning till night, and look what he was still able to accomplish. Now they want to destroy Trump and his supporters, not because of policy or results or anything real, but because of their insane, irrational hate. Yes, there is the policy argument.
1: Okay, folks, that's enough of that one. I hope you enjoyed it. I got to go because I've got to get this uh, to the producer. Tomorrow, during the election coverage, we're going to talk. I got a bunch of charts for you to go over, okay? We're going to talk about, you know, what Americans fear in the future in terms of uh, what's coming up. Possibly, uh, this is interesting though because this is before the election, so we do need to talk about this one real quick. Republican satisfaction has been rising ahead of the election. <laughs> you know, still nobody's that satisfied, so just keep it in context. But it's interesting, you know. I mean, this is the only one that's like way up. I mean, the independents are, uh, and by the way, I'm a registered independent. The, the independents are sort of flatlined. The Democrats down, came up a tad. Um, I think adding Harris got them a a little better off. Uh, And we're going to talk about the uh, law enforcement powers because uh, that's been a topic of the show lately. But hey, folks, we will see what happens tonight. Hopefully we'll have some news. I may come back and join you tonight if we get any big news, but if not, it'll be tomorrow. And uh, oh boy, we got still got some comments coming in here. Let me just put it. And by the way, thank you for all the nice kind words, everybody. Uh, David, thank you. I am not running for president. Uh, not that I would win, but or could win or could even be a contender, but I'm not running. Okay. So just want control back of my properties. Yeah, I agree sold half my Seattle rentals. That was a good idea to sell those Seattle rentals because Seattle's a disaster. All right, everybody, if you didn't vote yet, go out and vote, cast the right vote, cast the vote for smaller government, meaning bigger, bigger citizens, the bigger the government, the smaller the citizen. Uh, just rejoice in the fact that if you're listening to this, you probably live in a free country somewhere, okay? Uh, somewhere in the world, you know, you are you are lucky and rich. Just right there, no matter what happens. And just remember, you know, it's a lot of my uh, conservative friends. When Obama got elected the first time, they thought the country was going to go to hell in a handbasket. And I said to them, "Look, it takes a long, long time to destroy such a great country with the checks and balances that it has." So even if your candidate doesn't win, if your senator, if you're president, if your propositions or are- or referendums, whatever uh, is true in your state. If it doesn't work out the way you want, uh, just remember, you still live in a free country if you are watching this anywhere in the world. So uh, congratulations for that. And I wish you all the best. We will talk to you very soon. Happy voting and happy election watching. Let me play a little bit of this O'Reilly clip here. And, you know, I haven't seen O'Reilly in a while, but he's just talking about like, you know, very rationally about the differences between a Trump reelection and a Biden presidency and what that would mean, what they would do. And I think you'll be interested in hearing what he has to say. Let's just play a clip. Here we go.
2: We got 330 million Americans. Census was just completed. We got 15 million undocumented people living here, so that's a 345 number. That's a lot of folks. The first thing that's going to happen is the 15 million undocumented will get amnesty if the Senate goes Democrat and Biden's elected. So, like that. Second thing that's going to happen is going to be a new border policy, much more lenient for. They're going to say it's for asylum seekers, but that. It's just an invitation for everybody in the world to come here and say, I want asylum. Somebody's mean to me back in Honduras and there's a gang after me. All right. So right away, I mean, right away, the Democratic ranks will be swollen by 15, 20 new citizens. No, eventually. It's not going to happen overnight, but that's what they want, the
1: Democratic Party wants. Which, by the way, what's interesting about that is a lot of people have uh, predicted, you know, if, if Trump loses, then he will be the last Republican president for who knows how long, because the Democrats will build in their voter block. And O'Reilly misspoke. He said 15 to 20, he meant million, right. 15 to right. 20 million new Democrat voters You know, they're just going to lock that in by just providing an amnesty. And those people typically vote Democrat. So thoughts on that?
4: Well, that and uh, add to that, they're giving uh, Washington, D.C. and Puerto Rico statehood, both very strong Democratic strongholds, which uh, throws the So that would have four new senators. Four new Democratic senators.
1: Yeah, right, right. Four new Democratic senators. Thank you. You know, it it breaks
4: my mind, actually. It breaks reason in my mind to think that it makes sense to let tens of millions of people into the country that are here illegally and then give them health insurance and education
1: and so forth. You know I'm when also- when we have a massive homeless problem, an opioid epidemic, we have veterans committing suicide, those people need care, they need the financial aid, and we have not to mention a pandemic and all kinds of problems there, you know, very uneven recovery. What about helping the people who contributed to the country right I mean, absolutely,
4: I live in Southern California, Jason, and uh the ethnics here are really out of balance. Part of the problem, and I'm a listen, I love Mexico. I got, I love Mexicans. I'm serious. I got a lot of, a lot of work with the, the that community. But along with these 15 million, 13 million, whatever it is, comes MS-13, which is actually not Mexican, but from San Salvador. The, the and these people are, Na- these are nasty killers. Well, and,
1: and, and the drug cartels and, you know, we know about the kidnappings in Arizona and all of that stuff. This is problematic stuff. I mean, what what is the big deal about a country controlling its border? Like, why is that controversial? <laughs> you know, well, Mex- should- and, and interestingly, you know, what's interesting, John, about that? It's so hypocritical because Mexico is very, very much about controlling its southern border with yeah. Guatemala, yeah. right? Isn't that yep. ironic?
4: <laughs> Listen, it's a mindset. And I talk to people that are of that political uh, point of view, and there's no reason, there's no logic. It's some kind of bizarre, low-toned emotion, uh, propitiation towards others, and uh, a, some kind of feeling of superiority towards uh, minorities and I have to give them this or give them that Almost. let's go to that
1: clip in a moment okay because i've got something for you coming up on that yeah, yeah right. you'll love it all right you'll love it you'll love it let's hear a little bit more from o'reilly here for a second okay because he he says a few interesting sure. uh, points you know this is what it may mean to all of us folks so we'll see number
2: two you're they're gonna mess around with the supreme court somehow because they don't want six justices doing the bidding of traditional Americans, which I don't think they'd do anyway, but that's what the Democrats are. So they're just going to start to mess around. That gets complicated because it'll be litigated. So whatever the Democrats are going to do is going to go into litigation. Someone will sue, and the Supreme Court will have to hear a lot of these cases. Right, then they'll be rattling about Puerto Rico being a state in Washington, D.C. I don't think that's coming fast. But what will come fast is the tax rise. Now, I don't know how the stock market is going to react to a Biden victory. I don't know right no one does but you will get february march a substantial tax rise on corporations yep. and African and it'll be retroactive back to a date i don't think they can make probably it january back to the trump administration so it'll probably be january right and that'll royally account royal is r-o-i-l so, royal. so you're going to have uh if biden wins you're going to have illegal immigration Boom. you're going to have tax rise. Boom. You're going to have a lot of social programs. So Trump did a lot of executive orders. They're all going to go. And there'll be a lot more regulations on oil, all of that. And then you're going to start to see the unintended consequences of all of that. In the meantime, it's going to be a really nasty, nasty media payback. You Trump will be hauled in and they'll do stuff to him and to everybody who served in his administration and commentators. And it'll be really nasty. It's not like, oh, we won, we're Democrats, let's just get everybody together. That's not going to happen, right? It's going to be bad. And the political correctness, the totalitarianism on college campuses, all of that is going to go through the roof. All right, cancel culture, me too. Crazy. The first six months here, really not good. So if you have a long, you can't even travel because of COVID, (laughs) I was going to say, take a trip to Nepal somewhere and sit (laughs) out the first six months. Now, I'm going to be here to tell you what's going to happen and how you protect yourself. That's how this program is going to function. So we're going to say, all right, here, here's what they're doing here. Here's what they're doing there, is what you have to do. Because there are going to be ways to protect yourself. But it's going to be bad. It is. If the Democrats sweep, it's going to be bad for two years. Because there's going to be so much damage done in those two years that in 2022, when you have the midterms, Republicans will come back and control Congress. I mean, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer I are mean, The next, and then you're going to have the Green New Deal. That'll take a little longer to start spending trillions of dollars to alter global warming. But Biden's going to have to do it. And then his cabinet position—you got a new Attorney General that's going to be like uh, Obama's Attorney General Holder. Not going to enforce the law. Crime is going to go crazy everywhere.
1: I think he's right about that. I mean, look at the crime already in these Democrat-controlled jurisdictions. And uh, I I mean, a state of lawlessness, huh, John? I
4: couldn't agree more. And you make a good point. Look at it now with Bill Barr as the attorney general. And they've been arresting, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people at these uh, so-called protests, at these riots. If there's a Eric Holder type attorney general, God help us. Yeah,
1: it it's just a selective enforcement. Well, you you'll get some you know soccer mom driving a Volvo who will get in trouble for something ridiculous, yet uh, these, you know, the saddest thing about these war-torn areas of our country, where these riots have just been allowed to continue, whether they be Portland, New York, now Philadelphia, I mean, all of these, Minnesota, you know, all of these places, right, is that these stores are not opening up again, because, John, I don't think they'll ever be able to get insurance. And if insurance companies will write insurance for them, they're not going to be able to afford it. The rates will be so high. I mean, like Fifth Avenue, the famous Fifth Avenue in New York City, shopping on Fifth Avenue, right? It's, it's like an iconic thing. The windows uh, of the merchants decorated for Christmas, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, all of this stuff, it's over the stores will not open again. I mean, a few of them will. It's, of course, a figure of speech, but nothing like it was before, huh?
4: No, this is, a, this is not just a bump in the road. This is a, a deep blow to the country, to its economics. And you have the riots combined with this economic shutdown policy, which, in my opinion, is insane. There are companies falling by the wayside, declaring bankruptcy and they're closed that's it they're gone so rebuilding the economy i mean it's going to take trump to rebuild this economy starting next year but there's some of these folks that are never going to recover now hopefully there'll be you know new entrepreneurs to take their place and move on and bring uh, entrepreneurship back to you know back to the economy as you know i mean it's the small business guy man and woman who is the backbone of this economy but these riots are devastating, and take Portland as an example. You've got, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter and Antifa destroying black-owned businesses. They don't care. They're driven by hate and anger, not on and, it, and not paid by for hate. by George Soros. Yeah, paid for by by George Soros. Don't get me started on this guy who yeah. is. Uh, one of the most evil people on the planet. He he misses uh,
1: communism uh, from his childhood in Hungary. He must miss it. Yeah. Totalitarian dictatorships. He, he misses it for whatever reason. A really,
4: really bad actor. But the PR line is social justice. But when you look at the products, when you look at the results, that's social justice. It's pure hatred and destruction. Yeah. And if going back to the point that you made earlier there's an Eric Holder kind of attorney general. This stuff will
1: continue and there will be no enforcement. So it's unbelievable. Give us your thoughts on the migration patterns. Every place that is run by the left becomes a disaster. It's just amazing how, how uh, accurate that is. Time and time again, you know, we'll start with Detroit that used to be one of the flagship cities of the world that was just destroyed. It was just completely ruined, that city. The population, uh, less than half of what it was at its peak, right? Well, Well, outside, the population of the country has massively increased at the same time. And then, you know, we see a lot of areas in Illinois, uh, we see California, people are leaving. We see New York, people are leaving. Um, and, and you know, people are voting with their feet and they're taking their money with them. They're taking their brains with them. Many years ago, I left the Socialist Republic of California, where you still are. You're mm-hmm. hanging there long. I left uh, nine years ago. And I, I said that California would attempt to build an economic Berlin Wall, to try and stop the money drain. And you know, that's actually a proposal now, right? They're talking about it. They've got the bill to do that, the wealth tax that is 10 year retroactive wealth tax. I mean, I could be liable for my last year there if they pass that. And you know what, here's the thing about it, folks. It doesn't have to pass. Prop 13 doesn't need to get overturned in, in the next time around. The wealth tax doesn't, need, the tax doesn't need to pass this time. It's coming, okay? It's a slippery slope. This stuff is introduced. And then everybody starts to get like comfortable with it. People rearrange their lives. Some people leave. Others sort of accept. And then it passes. And here it is. What are your thoughts about the migration trends, John?
4: Well, let me just step back a little bit in terms of talking about the cities. I'm, I'm originally from San Francisco. I'm a San Francisco boy. I love that city. And it has just been destroyed. I know. Starting with Gavin Newsom, who was the mayor there, who, I mean, here's a guy that was the mayor of the city. He has an affair with his best friend's wife. They're both working for him as the mayor. And so he's having an affair with his best friend's wife. It becomes public knowledge. The San Francisco Chronicle reports on it. And he he kind of issues this uh, mushy kind of apology. Gee, well, you know, things happen. And then he becomes governor. And you know what he's doing? I mean, there there is a serious effort to recall him. I don't know if it'll come off. He should be thrown out of office in a heartbeat. So he's destroyed San Francisco. Eric Garcetti would do the same to Los right. Angeles. Yeah. I've got to, so back to the migration. I've got a lot of friends leaving California, a lot of friends. They're going to Arizona. They're going to Texas.
1: Um, they're going to Vegas. They're going to Nevada, a lot of them. Yeah.
4: Yes. Yeah. I got a, a very good buddy and uh, just just moved over there. So, you know, people do vote with their feet. And the answer to the finances of it is, oh, good, we'll raise taxes. And then we'll, more people we'll, leave. Which drives more people out. Yeah. If I weren't, I mean, I'm living in a gorgeous mountain community north of L.A. I love it here. If I weren't here, I would pack up and go.
1: Yeah, I understand. I mean, if if Biden wins, you combine the California tax with the Biden tax, yeah, your effective yeah. tax rate in California would be 62.8 percent. Can you imagine? Plus, that doesn't—that's just income tax. It doesn't include all the other taxes we all pay. I mean, that's that's right. Wow. That's just unbelievable. So um, we'll
4: see. I mean, I've met, you know, we've got an election. We've got possible recall of him. The California legislature, I don't know what to do about that. I mean, it's like they passed laws up there. They passed a law up there setting up a committee to look into reparations for people that were whose, <laughs> whose ancestors were slaves. I used to teach California history at San Jose State University. Here's a clue. California was admitted to the union in September of 1850 as a free state, Jason. (laughs) It was against the law to own a slave here. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And And then 15 years later, that went away anyway. Right. But but California was never a slave state. So it's it's, what they want to do is they're just they're just pandering to buy votes. That's always what they do. It's nonsensical. It's just completely nonsensical, you know. Anyway, we've got
4: 24 hours, and uh, I'm hoping, I think, that Trump's going to win. I look at these rallies. They're awesome. I've never seen rallies like this in the history of this country.
1: I know. Ten- and, and, and you look at the polls and what the media is saying, and you got to believe they're just lying. I mean, I, it does, it, like, if you go with your gut, it really looks like assuming the election is fair. Which I think now we've seen with all the mail-in voting and all of this stuff, you know, why can't I buy a gun in the mail? I can't do that, right? If it's so safe, right? You know, it's it's just right. um, it's just absolute hypocrisy. But you know, that's a that's a way to have a lot more voter fraud with mail-in ballots. And what you don't see is the ballots that never get there. It's very easy to know which districts are Democrat and Republican. Almost everybody that works for the post office, I'm sure, is Democrat, be pretty obvious. I don't think anybody would would have to disagree with that, right? You can tell which areas lean to the right and which lean to the left. So if the mail delivery person sees the ballot, which is clearly marked, right, you know what it is in the envelope, you don't have to open it, it just somehow doesn't get there. It's just so easy to suppress votes. Yeah, it's it's pretty scary. That's an added
4: coals to the to the fire of this election. If Trump's elected, uh, God willing, and the creek don't rise, there will be riots, and hopefully, you know, we can bring some peace and uh, on ongoing prosperity to the country. If Biden's elected, it's going to get nasty. Ta- just as Bill O'Reilly, Bill O'Reilly was saying, taxes are going to go up. Social justice will prevail. Political correctness will prevent- Which the
1: the name of that is such a misnomer. There's nothing justice about social justice. That is such a scam. That name is a complete lie. The social justice warriors couldn't care less about social justice. I mean, that's the irony of the whole thing, right?
4: You're, You're absolutely right.
1: But, John, uh-huh. I'd like to play this little clip, and we'll wrap it up. I know we probably got to wrap it up. And I'd also like to just get your take on a couple of financial things before you go, uh, sure. if you have a minute. But this is just interesting because it just shows the way mostly elitist white liberals view minorities. And it is so insulting. It is so ridiculous. Here's a little clip on that that's uh, that's pretty interesting. Yeah.
3: I'm Ami Horowitz, and I'm here in Berkeley, California, to find out if voter ID laws suppress the black vote. Do you have an opinion on voter ID laws? Uh, yeah, they're usually pretty racist, and <laughs> they're bad. I think voter ID laws are a way to perpetuate racism. Would you go as far as say say those laws are racist? For sure. Do you think it suppresses the uh, African-American vote? Definitely. Uh, Because they're less likely to have state IDs. Minority voters are less likely to have the kinds of IDs that have been um, described or required. These type of people don't
1: live in areas with easy access to DMVs or other places where they can get identification.
3: You can always get IDs over the Internet. Does that also make it difficult for for Black people in particular? Yeah, you have to have access to the internet. You have to be able to pay an internet service provider for certain fees. Do you think that's harder for Black people to go online? Well, um, I feel like they don't have the knowledge of how of like how it works. Like, a lot of people have smartphones, but they might not have data. For most of the communities, they don't really know what is out there just because they're not aware or like they're not informed. I also think there's a repression of like Black voting with um how they how if you're a convicted felon like you're not allowed to vote and everything and when you look at swing states like florida that's a huge population of the of the like african-americans now i'm here in east harlem to ask black people their thoughts on what you just heard do you have id
1: norway do you id on? yes
3: i have state id do you carry id yes i do do you know anybody any black person doesn't carry id no everyone that i know has id why would they think we don't have id that's a lot why would they say that do you have id yes because i have my id and my friends have their id so we know what we need to carry around everybody that i know have id like that's one of the things you need to walk around with new york with an id do you know any black adult who does not have id no i don't is it a weird thing to even say that yes it is Where's this, some some type of uh, trick candy cameras? I like know, that? right? That's the only thing I brought with me. Legit, yeah. Those legit IDs. I heard a lot also that uh black people can't figure out how to get to the DMV. Man? That's that. Was that, what that to you?
4: I know it's that
3: on Twenty Fifth Street. Do you know where the ID the, the DMV is, right? Here? It's on One Hundred Twenty Fifth Street and Third you know, Avenue, I believe. You know how to get there? Yeah. Do you have a problem getting there? If you have to get there? No. I know you sound like silly questions. You know how to get the A.V.? Of course. You know where it is? Yeah. You can get there? Uh Uh-huh. No problem. No problem. Just checking. Okay. And I also heard a lot that black people, especially poor black people, have no access to the internet. Can't figure out how to use the internet. That's just stupidity, honestly. Everybody has access to the internet. Even little kids can figure out how to work the internet. I had access to the internet for years. You know how to use it properly? Exactly, right? I do it at work. So, of course, I know how to use it. Smart. My kids know how to use it. They all have iPads, iPods, whatever. Your phone has data? Mm-hmm. You can actually unlimited. it unlimited. unlimited data. hmm I use my phone as a hotspot. What does that say to you for the people who have this perception of like Um, uh, they're pretty much ignorant. Uh. That's what my thought process is. I just think that's ignorant. 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 That's the Very, I hear very about. Ignorant. ignorant. Very, very ignorant.
1: I mean, the the white liberal class at Berkeley is so insulting. I can't even believe it. Like, you can't make that stuff up. It's it's ridiculous. Isn't that just ridiculous? The university is now operating a little bit to the left of Mount Zetong. Yeah. Uh, wow. Where are we going in this country, John? Where are we going with this? This is just, it's absolute. You You can't write fiction like this, can you? No. <laughs> <laughs>
4: no, 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 you can't, uh, but, um, or you can, because I'm just finishing my fourth fiction book, and, and uh, I've got a lot of uh, MA in there, uh, the Mexican Mafia, which rules California drug trade. Anyway, but when you're educating kids like at Cal— that becomes the
1: the problem now. You, you you said it, Cal. You mean Cal Berkeley, right? Is that what you I mean? Said? Cal, I
4: mean, I mean Cal Berkeley. Yeah. Okay. Got uh, it. I, I did graduate research there, and, and uh, my
1: mom went to Berkeley in the '60s, of all things, and did not turn out to be a crazy leftist.
4: Well, that that's when I did my research there in the in in, in the '60s. It was a great university, but what they teach there here's what you get when you get that kind of education. You get Bill De Blasio an actual communist who's the mayor of New York City. You know, he, got, he went to Havana to get married. Did you know that?
1: No, when I did got... not know that. But why am I not surprised? Steven Spielberg uh, had dinner with Fidel Castro and praised him like crazy, saying it was the best 12 hours of his life, dinner with Castro, meaning that Castro could talk and talk, you know, when he was alive, everybody knew, he'd give these insanely long speeches. Right. And so he said it was the best 12 hours of his life, <laughs> dinner. Yeah.
4: It's, it's the right, the, the right target, actually, in terms of correcting this, this, you know, nutty political environment is the education system. Where on the one hand, they've got that uh, the New York Times 1619 history of the United States, which is completely revisionist. Yeah. So, you know, the reform has to should start there, is my opinion.
1: Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Well, hey, thanks for talking about politics, folks. You know, we'll be back to financial stuff, but we got a big election tomorrow. So we had to talk about politics today. But I, I just want to get your take. And I'm sorry I didn't ask earlier. You've been researching lithium a lot lately. And obviously, electric electricity is a big deal. Battery technology is a big deal. What's going on in that market? Uh, what were you going to say about that?
4: I just published today, our monthly newsletter, on that subject, on lithium. title of the, uh, the uh, newsletter is, is Lithium, the New Oil. And you need lithium for rechargeable batteries. So think about cell phones, think about computers, think about that kind of thing, and then start looking at the electric vehicle market, which you know publicly is driven by Elon Musk and Tesla and uh, U.S. car manufacturers but the EV market, the electrical vehicle market, is booming in China. It's booming in India. And these cars need uh, lithium for their batteries. So it's a um, hot area, kind of a somewhat new area of investments, and it's going to grow and grow. So, um, you know, watch for, for good lithium stocks. I actually mentioned a couple in the newsletter so i'm I'm a big fan of that as an investment area now
1: good stuff and um last time you were on we talked about bank bail-ins and that was a really popular uh, piece uh, that we talked about uh tons of views on youtube and so forth as i mentioned I- explain what a bail-in is real quickly just you know why this is a possibility and a concern and especially couched in the political environment we're in because As government, you know, the one thing I say and the one reason I really wanted to leave California for so long, and I I repeat this often, you never wanna live in a jurisdiction where the government is desperate, where they are so desperate for money that they become predatory on their own citizens, you know, with parking tickets, with red light cameras, with speeding cameras, you know, these are all the police are the modern day tax collector. They won't stop the riots and the destruction of Minneapolis or Philadelphia or certainly not Portland or Seattle or New York, but heck, they'll give it tickets because that's where the money comes from, right? And so, you know, you see that soccer mom going five miles an hour too fast on her Volvo, you better pull her over and give her a speeding ticket because you can raise revenue there. You're only gonna lose money arresting people for rioting, right? So it's a it's a messed up system, isn't it?
4: Yeah, don't let your parking meter run over in Los Angeles. I'm telling you, it's uh, uncomfortable financially and uh, in terms of having to get your car if you, you happen to get towed. There is, and I'll, I'll be brief on this, Jason, and just kind of hit the, the high points. The, the bail-in, uh, yeah. There has grown in the last decade or so a kind of uh, security called a derivative. Uh, there are $1.2 quadrillion worth of derivatives in banks on the planet. Most of these derivatives, these securities, are bets on the direction of interest rates. That's all they are. B of A says the interest rate on Greek bonds is going up. Deutsche Bank says they're going down. They bet. That bet becomes a security. People bet on those bets. People bet on those their bets. And there's this pyramid of these Vegas like um, uh, securities, I think somebody's going to stick a bubble
1: in that world. Right, you mean a pin in
4: the uh, bubble, right? Yeah. A, a, a pin in the bubble, thank you. There are $227 trillion worth of derivatives in the major New York banks. And so the godfather of the global financial mafia, the Bank for International Settlements in Basel, Switzerland, who basically rules banking on this planet. Basically, structured something to protect the banks from being taken down by derivatives exposure, and that's called bail-in. Bail-in means that if a bank is tr- troubled and going bankrupt, that they have the right to take your deposits and convert it to bank stock. Take your deposits and convert it to bank stock. So this it is literally a- if
1: you if you, if you have money in the bank. The bank can just take it and say, instead of your deposit account, you now own stock in our bank. In our failing bank. In our failing bank. Yeah. Even if you didn't want to buy the stock in their failing bank.
4: That's right. Yeah. So that's official policy in the EU. Uh, Canada adopted the policy a couple of years ago. And when you read the Dodd-Frank bill, it permits that in the United States, there's actually um, a memo online people could go find it written by the FDIC and the Bank of England jointly that explains how bail in policy would work here wow so i just you know to i tell your listeners make sure you're in a strong bank i encourage them not to bank with the big uh, money center banks find a good uh, regional bank because the big money center banks are the ones full of derivatives but that's what a bail in is it's there it's my opinion that the Bank for International Settlements didn't do this for no reason. So I don't like to prognosticate, prognosticate. It's
1: like Joe prognosticate. Biden. Hey, don't pull a Joe Biden on me. <laughs>
4: it's, 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 it's bad news, but I do think the banking system in the United States is going to have a, uh, some trouble. Yeah. So so,
1: um, so let me ask you about the derivative thing uh, just super quickly we'll wrap it up here. So you know I've long called derivatives uh I like doing these folksy simple things right? I call a derivative the thing about the thing, okay? And so the interesting thing about derivatives is like like any investment or any asset there's always a counterparty so if one person loses another party wins so my question is i mean those numbers with derivatives are obviously astonishing right they're they're insane numbers i mean the global gdp right. just to give a comparison is about what 80 trillion a year a hundred trillion a year, I think. Uh, now. So about hundred, yeah. Trillion. And and the U.S. Yeah. is like twenty-two trillion a year, or something like that. So that's a comparison for how massively giant the derivatives market is. But say it collapses, so someone will lose and someone will win. Is I mean, yeah, the you know the chairs move around in the game of musical chairs, but does it really lead to such a disaster? Here's the question: Can the
4: loser Afford to take the hit? J.P. Morgan Chase, Jason. The last time I looked, had about fifty trillion dollars worth of derivatives exposure. Wow! I mean, the numbers are eye-watering. They're almost—you know—you can't even think with them. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think if one bank takes a hit, you'll have something like two thousand and eight, where it will just spiral out of control. It may or may not have anything to do with who's actually healthy and who's not. As we've seen, and as we've been talking about, it's a PR world, mm-hmm. and the financial press can be as biased and as jaded as the political press.
1: So that's that's, that's very very disconcerting for sure. John Truman Wolf, what is your website?
4: strategicfinancialintelligence.com. dot com. Bit of a mouthful.
1: strategicfinancialintelligence.com. dot com. John Truman Wolf, thanks for joining us again. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.